Sunday every day. Every day with God is a good Sunday, right? Every yeah. day. Every day, every day. So no matter what happens, it's a good day, right? Right. I don't hear a lot of hoo-ahs going on that, but we'll keep working on that. So um, read this little interesting Thor story, which I thought was, I thought it was interesting. Hopefully you will as well, but it kind of fits in what we're studying today where God tests our faith. We're looking at four different aspects of how God tests our faith, and it's actually a good thing. It's it's, uh, we don't thank God for the trials and problems that we have, but we thank God that he's equipped us to get through them and overcome them and grow in them. So uh, maybe you can relate with this story like I did. It says, doctors of old times tested the sanity of mental patients, not throwing out any names in here or online, uh, tested the sanity of mental patients with the following test. The patient was placed in a room with a single sink the faucet was turned on, the stopper was put in the drain until the sink began to overflow with water. The patient was just then handed a mop and a, and a bucket and the door to the room was closed and the patient was left alone with the running water, the mop and the bucket. If the patient had enough sense to pull the plug, shut the water off, mop up the water, he was considered capable of going home. But on the other hand, if the patient mopped like crazy and never bothered to <laughs> shut off the water or pull the plug, he was considered still insane and needed to be detained a little bit longer in the mental institution. Well, that sounds funny, but here's the reality. How many people in our world are running around mopping like crazy while their faucet is overflowing, the plug's filled, and they're just mopping, 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 wondering what in the world is going on, right? You ever feel that way? There's just all this stuff going on. People have their personal demons. They have all their anxiety, their fear, the stuff going on in their life. And it just seems like they're just mopping, 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 just trying to get ahead just a little bit. And yet all the time, the sink is overflowing. You ever feel that way? Well, we need to stay in the institution a little bit longer, don't we? They know they have a problem. They know there's an issue there. They know there's all these demands upon their life, but they just don't know how to solve it. So symbolically in their life, all they do is spend their entire time, what? Mopping, 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 all the while, while the sink and the faucet is still what? On and the plug is in the drain and the sink is overflowing. I think of these people, and I kind of figure these are kind of the people that they know there's a problem, they know there's a demand on their life, they know they need to solve it. It's like the people who saw the, the demonic in the New Testament. He's in the graveyard, right? They try and chain the guy up, they try and keep him there. He's so strong, he breaks the chains, and he's just a wild man. And these people are thinking, this guy is nuts. There's nothing that could ever help him. And yet one day they go out, there's this man, Jesus, that visits the cemetery with this man in it. And as the people go out, where do they find this man? He is in a state of calmness. His life is together. He is confident. He is healed. He has no more demons. He's joyfully in his right mind. And they're looking at this man going, how in the world could this happen? And I wonder... If in the back of their minds they see this man, this demonic-filled man, completely healed by the power of Jesus, completely in his right state of mind, 
No more wildness, no more craziness. They see him healed. I wonder if they look and they say, how can this happen? I wish this could happen to me too. I wish I could be healed of all the demands and craziness upon my life. Because I'm just mopping, mopping, mopping. And I'm like the wild man running through the cemetery in a crazy fashion and getting nowhere. Jesus solves us to we are not mopping, not mopping, right? It's interesting that in the story we read about the man who's healed by Jesus, but you know what we never read about? Any one of the people that saw him healed being healed in their life. And yet the reality in that cemetery was the healed man, was Jesus, and the people that saw him, but we only read about how many people that were healed. One. The people saw the miracle, they saw the healed, and they couldn't comprehend it, even as Jesus is standing right there. We are in the middle of our series on how God tests his people and we've all shared quite openly, and I'm sure you still feel the same way. We really what? When it comes to tests. Don't like them. We don't like them. Even though when we're for our good, we don't like them. They instill fear in us. They instill anxiety. It makes us like Jonah want to run the other way, right? We try and avoid it. You know, we, we, we just like, la, 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 don't know what's going on. But God tests his people because he loves them, and they're always for our good. Because they're meant, when we are tested by God, for us to overcome our issues and pass the test. And if we don't, as we talked about last week, it shows us where that chink is, that, that weak spot in our spiritual armor, that we can go back to God and say, Lord, I need you to strengthen this area of my life. This is a complete weak spot where Satan can attack me as he prowls the, the world like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is a weak spot in my spiritual armor. God, I need you to, to strengthen this in me. God never gives us a trial or temptation that we are not able to overcome and deal with. And as the New Testament says, there is always a way of escape. They are meant to prove our salvation genuine and not artificial. So that God says, I don't want any synthetic Christians in my house. They are meant to reveal Jesus living in and through us in the Holy Spirit. And they're meant to mature us, to make us, as the Bible says, perfect and complete, full of joy, contentment, and faith. And they're meant to show us how to get off basing decisions off of feelings and circumstance and completely on the Word of God laid out in the Bible. God's tests are good for us, and yet in spite of that, how do we react? Well, I'm still anxious. I'm still fearful. I still want to run the other way, right? As God's pulling us back. Well, we are no different than Adam and Eve from the very beginning and everyone that followed after them, right? And then in that, God calls us and confronts us. God wants to bless us. And that's what we have to realize in these times of testing, that God's not doing this to, to punish us or to hurt us or to scare us. God is doing this to grow us into maturity, to grow us into making good, righteous, godly decisions in our life, that the consequence of those decisions are a blessing. As we plant seeds of each victory with each overcoming of the trial, the temptation, the challenge, the test, 
and we plant those in those gardens until they produce a crop bountiful of 100, 10, 30, 1,000 fold of that faith. That God is teaching us not to get more faith, but to learn to use what? The faith that we already have. Now we're looking at four of the most common forms of testings in, in the life of, of Christians overall. Last one was God tests us through difficulties. That's always one of our favorite, right? We love difficulties, right? No, we don't. And we love when difficulties are over. That's where we overcome. There's the joy. This morning we look at how God tests our faith through demands. Those things that God asks us to do something beyond what we think we're capable of. Something beyond what we are comfortable in. Next week, we'll look how God tests our faith with dollars. I hope you all still show up next week. We'll be tithing. Isn't that fun? And then finally, we look how God tests our faith through delays. But let's get into it this morning, that God tests our faith through demands. He sometimes asks us to do the seemingly impossible or those things that are beyond our comfort zone that we just don't want to do. Christy shared with us the Decalogue this morning, the Ten Commandments, only ten laws, right? To keep simple, right? We can do 10 things, right? And she said, said it well. Well, if she could just keep the first two, the rest would flow well. Actually, if she could just keep the first one, it'd be okay. And we all struggle with that, don't we? We all struggle with that. In the Bible, beyond the Decalogue, beyond the Ten Commandments, now the Jewish people had their 612 laws. They added to the Word of God. We won't talk about those because those are man-made. But in the Bible, do you realize there are 1,050 commands for the believer to obey? Life as a Christian should be gravy, shouldn't it? 1,050 commands for the believer to obey. And a lot of these commands seem unreasonable, unattainable. Some of them are just downright inconvenient because we don't like them. Some seem impossible. So what do you do when God demands the impossible? From you that's kind of the question right we all know we have demands what do you do when God demands the impossible and we get this tunnel vision and instead of seeing the greatness of God we see 1050 commands we have to obey you know what that's called legalism we get those blinders on like horses and we have this tunnel vision that sees command after command after command and we get caught up in trying to keep those commands when we looked at last week that God said his ways are not burdensome. So the first thing is we got to get out of legalism. We can't be so to the letter, this is the way it is. We have to hear the voice of God speaking to us in those commands to realize he's speaking to those things like Christy said this morning because he loves us. There are guardrails placed around our life to keep us in line. We don't always like them. I mean, I can tell you, I don't like guardrails until I really need them, right? I don't like something blocking my way until it saves my life. And then it suddenly is different. These are commands given to us that we need to change our perception and that God gives them to us to protect us, to provide for us, to, to, to keep us in a righteous way. As she said in, in, in the, the Bible reading, they're a mirror of reflection to see where we stand in God and be honest with ourselves and where we get to grow to. I mean, as a child, what do little children always say? Well, when I, what, grow up, from infancy, we start looking 
forward. Now, most of us don't say, well, when I'm 90, <laughs> right? But we say, well, when I'm, when I'm 16, when I'm 18, when I'm 21, and then we kind of stop there, right? But we look forward to say, when I grow up, this is who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. This is what God is showing us in these commands. That when he matures us and grows us up, this is who we can be. And it's actually something to look forward to, isn't it? Not something to fear. What do we do when God asks the impossible of us? Well, we have to ask a simple question. And we ask this one question, and here it is. Who am I going, can you fill in the blank, to believe? It's a question that separates the self-focus from the God-focus. Because typically in a situation we fall back on our experience, our opinions, our outlook, our growing up, and God intervenes in all that and says, I have a different way, I have a better way. So in those times of testing, when the demands of life are upon us and we are mopping like crazy, God wants us to ask a defining question in our life to make a decision. Who am I going to believe? Stating either I'm going to believe who? God? Or I'm going to believe in me? You see, it's a matter of perspective and that defining moment of that defining decision to say, who do I trust most? And it's a step in maturity actually, isn't it? As a child, going back to our infancy and our childhood, one of the hardest things for children to do is share, right? First word a kid learns without us teaching it is no. Second word they learn to, sh to, 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 to speak out is mine, right? Mine, mine, my ball, my toy. It's only when maturity starts to creep into the life of the child and they begin to have a bigger, broader understanding of the blessing of sharing that you see a child going and says, here, here's my ball, you play with it. Up until that point, what are they saying? Mine, my precious, right? Mine. It's a level of maturity that you see the child starting to grow when they realize it's not just about me. It's about others as well. It's a bigger picture. And when they hit that realization, and it's a tiny, small realization, but it's actually massive. Some adults still haven't figured it out yet, right? It changes their life, doesn't it? When you see a, a sharing child over a selfish child, it makes your heart glad because you know that they are growing. And that's where God is bringing us these demands. And we ask that defining question, who, God, when you ask me the impossible, who am I going to trust most? You or me. And hopefully in that defining moment, we make the right, the mature decision to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you how much? At least 10%, right? Or maybe 15 on a good day. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, even though, here's the reality, I don't understand it. I'm going to trust you. We read the beautiful stories of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, but I think the Old Testament is more, filled, or is more littered with these beautiful old stories that Hebrews 11 talks about, the men and women of faith. And we're like, wow. Do you think they really had a clue when they were going through what they were going through? We read the end of the story, right? It's like reading Revelation after you read Genesis. You know, you see the fall, then you see the, the, the restoration. And I was like, well, the rest of the book should be fantastic, right? 
we read the end of the stories of these great men and women of faith, but we forget they went through real life just like you and I did. And what God called them to do these seemingly impossible things, it was challenging because it put demands upon their life. And their point of view was very limited. But we have to realize and change our perspective to see that when God asks you and I to demand upon your life to do the impossible, to Him, all things are what? Possible. It's only our perspective that sees it as impossible. We are the ones that limit the power, the goodness of God in our lives, aren't we? because we see finite. God is infinite, and that's the perspective we need to understand. You see, you and I see the glass half empty, God sees the glass half full, and I seriously think we should just be glad we have a glass, right? We have something to fill, right? Here's how God sees things when we see it differently. Husband shows up with his head down, shows up home with flowers in his hand, walks to the door and says, here, honey, What's usually our thing? What'd you do wrong? What'd you do wrong? <laughs> right? You know what God sees? God sees a man who loves his wife and is willing to repent. Wow. That's a different perspective, isn't it? There's the Asian Indian story of the blind men and the elephant. You remember that story? You learned it in school. I don't even know if they teach it anymore. But these blind men come across an elephant, and they're trying to figure out what it is because they can't see it, right? They're blind. They can't see it. And so they describe the elephant based on their experience. And each one perceives something different. One perceives that the elephant is like a rope. Which part of the elephant do they have? Yeah. The tail. So he assumes the elephant is like a rope. One sees the elephant like a moving tree branch. What part of the elephant does he have? The trunk, right? One sees the elephant as a massive pillar. The leg. One sees the elephant as a huge, overpowering fan. The ears. And one perceives the elephant as a very solid pipe. have to get the hint on that one, right? <laughs> All the time, is that what the elephant is? Well, it's parts of the elephant, but it's not a complete reality. We look at the elephant with the sight and we see all those things, right? And we see something even bigger and beyond that. We haven't even dealt with the body of the elephant. And that's kind of what it is when God asks us a demand upon our life to do something that seems impossible, that sometimes we limit, we are blinded in our own selfishness, our own self-focus, our own understanding, and lacking faith. And we see a rope, we see a pillar, we see a fan, but we don't see what? The whole elephant. Who does see the whole elephant when it comes to faith? God does. So as we have these questions, these, these, these demands posed upon our life to test us, to get us through things, the first thing we have to realize is this, that when God asks us to do something, he doesn't see us in the moment struggling. You know where God sees us? He sees us at the end of the trial, victoriously growing and learning something and, and having that eureka, that epiphany moment of, oh my gosh, this faith thing really works in God. 
So the challenge is to stop limiting God, isn't it? To stop limiting God and realize, get a new perspective in life that God is so much greater. Now we talk about that, especially a lot in church, right? Preachers always preach about that. It's in Bible studies about how great God is. But the reality is to begin to filter that into our mind and our heart to where we actually believe that. That when we see a demand, when we're mopping up life like crazy and it just seems overwhelming, to stop for a minute, step back and say, you know, this is a moment I really need to trust God and enact my faith. Say a prayer and say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see the greatness of you before me. And if we can see that greatness of God before us, those demands upon our lives suddenly seem so small, don't they? They're no longer majestic. Now they're almost insignificant. It's a viewpoint of perspective. In Numbers chapter 13, that good old New Testament book, we won't be going there, but you can turn there if you want to read the whole book while I'm preaching. It's a great, great book. Numbers 13 God calls Moses to send 12 men into a new place that he has called them, called the Promised Land. Okay, those are key. What's the name of the land they're going into? The Promised Land. That means that God says what? You get to have this. It's my personal guarantee. It's in the will. It's yours. I'm handing over the title of this land to you. It's God's promised land. So Moses sends 12 men into the promised land to check out the land and to come back with a report. Now, it's still the promised land, right? God's guaranteed it to them. Ten of them come back, what? Cowering with their leg, with their tail between their legs symbolically. Because, oh my gosh, yes, it's a bountiful land, but there's what in the land? Giants. You know what they're saying? God cannot, what? Overcome giants. They're too big for him. But two of them, 16% out of the group, if you're keeping numbers for the accountants, 16% of the group come back and say, it's amazing. Oh yeah, the big guys are out of there that the other 10 guys are talking about. But God has said, we will inherit this land. This will be our land. You see a difference in the perspective of these 12 men. The 10 men are typically how we react when we come into a demand on our life that seems impossible, right? God can't overcome this. My gosh, they're huge. They're bigger than Dwayne Johnson. I mean, seriously, these guys are massive. 2% of us get it. Like, oh yeah, there's some big tubes there. I mean, they're, I, I, I should get a poster on my wall of one of these guys. They're massive, they're like bodybuilders. But you know what? God says this is the promised land. We might as well go in because it's already ours. Which do you think is a more healthy perspective? Which do you think is a joyful perspective? Which perspective gives you to contentment and confidence in a life God is leaving you. The fear or the promise of God's handiwork. Did you see the change in perspective that God is calling us to? It's a simple issue of how we view the situation. Again, whether it's through filtered through our eyes or we say, God, open my eyes that I may see the greatness of who you are before me. And we see God's overcoming in our life. 
God demands, places demands in our life that we could learn to see through the eyes of God and not through our eyes. Because every time we see through our perspective, it's what? Overwhelming. And we find ourselves mopping and mopping and mopping, right? But when we see it through God's eyes, it's like, oh my gosh, well, let's shut the sink off, let's pull the plug, let's mop it up, and hey, open the door, I'm ready to go home. I'm good. I don't need to stay here any longer in this crazy place. Let me out to freedom. God commands us things in those 1,050 commands like, uh, well, don't worry about anything. Here's an easy one for you. Do good to your enemies. Oh, by the way, forgive how many people? Everyone. Be thankful in everything. Here's one we really love. Confess your sins. Faults. Where? To the priest in the little box in the Catholic Church, right? Confess your sins to one another. Oh, we got that one down easy, right? We did confession this morning, right? That one's a tough one. God says, I'm going to give you a test of demand. I'm going to, as we, our story before he goes, I'm going to give you a mop and a bucket, and I'm going to turn the water on and plug the sink, and I want to see how you do. The reality is, there is a what? A way out. We just have to quit mopping like crazy and hear God's voice saying, shut the faucet off and pull the plug, and all will be good. The madness will stop running into your life and overflowing. There's hundreds of examples in the Bible that God says to do this, and these individuals had to trust God by faith. Even though it didn't make sense to them, and it seemed impossible. We already talked about the, the people going into the promised land in Egypt, right? From Egypt, they go to the promised land, nine were fearful, two trusted God. Two were content in God's promise, nine scared the tar out of all the people. There's also the place in the Bible where the people are broken out of slavery. They've been praying for 400 years that God would free them, not just spiritually, but actually physically. 400 years of, depression, of oppression on their culture. 400 years of being forced labor and slaves and getting the leftovers of the Egyptians and doing all the work and building for them. They've cried out to God who's been silent for 400 years, God save us. And it wasn't just a spiritual cry, it was a physical cry to be freed from slavery. And God responds, brings them out into the desert, and he gives them this thing to feed them because they obviously, they run out of food within the first day or two, really. You know, they, they're not preppers. They didn't plan ahead very well, right? They get out there, they run out of food. They're complaining, I'm hungry. I don't know when you're hungry, but people tend to complain a lot, right? They're grouchy, they're hangry, right? We were at the store with Terry yesterday. We're walking around, she's like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I just want to grab everything. I just gotta, I'm so, I shouldn't go to the store hungry. I mean, she felt the effects of, angriness on her life, right? Everything on the shelf looked good, right? Yeah, because she went to that point in need. The funny thing, when God gives us these demands in our life, he usually hits us at a point when we're in need because then it really resonates and hits home, doesn't it? We really understand it. So he gives them this stuff called manna, 
but he places some commands on it. Remember manna? They said it was kind of like coriander. It was flaky. It was white. It would appear on the soil in the morning when they got up, and they just had to go out and gather it, but there were limitations. God said, you are to gather how much? One day's worth, except at the end of the week when there was the Sabbath, and then you could gather two days' worth. Well, those godly people that had just been let out of 400 years of slavery were so spiritual mature, they disobeyed God. Right? They had a demand on their life. God provided nutrients for them, but he said, I want to limit this. And he had multiple reasons for that, but most of it were, were to depend upon him daily. And they didn't listen. They gathered more and they gathered more. And in the morning when they woke up and looked in their nice little pot of gathered manna, it was wormy, it was nasty, it was maggoty. And they're like, what the heck? And then Moses had to come through and said, God told you so. Why didn't you trust him and listen? I mean, we see that as a simple test of faith, right? But how often do we fail those simple tests of faith? All the time. And that's where God's saying, don't look at it through your eyes. Look at it through my eyes as your Jehovah Jireh, God provider. I want you to trust me just to have enough for the day. And then to firmly believe I'll provide for you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then I'll give you a day of rest of the week where you can gather, gather double. Even Jesus said in Luke or in Matthew 6, 11 and Luke eleven thirteen, 13, he says, he prays to his father in that prayer that he teaches the disciples. And he says, give us this day our monthly bread. What does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. It's a call to depend upon God daily for our sustenance. If you want to turn to Exodus 16:4, we'll go back to our, our, our Israelites in the wilderness with this manna that God gives them. Exodus 16:4, and we read this. As God is commanding Moses to what to tell them in the wanderings in the desert in the wilderness as the manna comes. Exodus 16 4 the people are to go out each day and gather enough manna for the day in that way if you're there what does it say I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions I will what test them you think that in the New Testament when Jesus expounds on this same kind of test where he says, Father, give us today our daily bread? Do you think that is a test for us, even now, to trust God in the daily aspect of things? Here's where I see the Israelites as Moses is speaking to them, because, you know, whenever someone's speaking to you, or like we're here right now, your mind begins to wander and you go off on rabbit trails, right? Moses is speaking to them saying, hey, God says only gather enough for the day. And I can just see these Israelites going, huh, what do you mean just enough for the day? He put a whole bunch out there. That must mean he wants us to have it all, right? Why can't I gather enough for the week? I mean, I could gather a bunch today and then I could take it easy the rest of the week, right? It's a better, more efficient use of my time to gather more now. Why just enough for the day? What happens if I get sick tomorrow? What? What happens if a rock hits my head or I step on a snake or a centipede and it bites me? There's all kinds of reasons why I should gather more and ignore what God says to do. Well, you don't end up mopping with excuses like that in your life, do you? 
What if, what if, what if, what if? And that's where God says, I have covered the what if. It's a thing called faith. Will you trust in me for tomorrow? Trust in me today. Then you and I will wake up in the morning and we'll do it again tomorrow. Here's the point. When God calls these demands upon our lives to test us, it doesn't make sense to us. Have you ever noticed that? Because we want to have the answer, right? We want to know the outcome. Well, God actually tells us the outcome. Intellectually, we can figure the outcome out. But in the faith aspect, God's saying, I want you to live like you believe the outcome. And the challenge is, we don't know in our minds, our fearful minds, how it's going to turn out, right? And so we lack faith. And God says, just trust me in this. You see, the impossible things to us are completely possible to who? To God. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha Omega. He is omnipresent, he's omnipotent. He knows how it's all going to work out. And the Bible tells us that he knows the number or the lack of number of the hairs on our head. He knows when a single sparrow drops. He cares that much. Do you think he's really going to let us fall? Most people think this. Well, what if he forgets me for like 30 seconds? Will he? No. That's the providence of God. He, he won't. Remember there's this guy in the Old Testament called Abraham? It was Abram, then God, he met God. God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And God comes to Abraham and he says, you know what? I like you. I want to make you a man of faith. I want you to go to a foreign land that you've never been to. And remember, there's no Google Maps at this time, right? There's no encyclopedia. There's nothing. You know, there's no internet. God says, I want you to go to a foreign land and I'm going to bless and multiply you. So Abraham in faith says, ah, like us, um, God, where exactly are you taking me? And God responds, I'll tell you when you get there. Well, Lord, how am I going to get there? I'll show you the way as we go along. Well, Lord, how will I know when I've gotten there? And God says what? I'll tell you when you get there. Does that give you confidence? It actually gives what? Fear. Because we, like Abraham, want to know the result. I guarantee you, you can ask Christy, when we go on a vacation, I make a little book. Actually, it's more of an encyclopedia, a dictionary, big book. And I actually print a book. It's kind of a weird thing that I do, right? But I've got what? Everything is planned and laid out. Now, it's flexible, but I know where everything I can find in that area is that we can go see and do and all this stuff and the things we're going to do. I want to know where I'm going. And when God calls me in these demands in my life to trust him in faith, God doesn't always tell me what, where I'm going, when I'm going to get there, how I'm going to get there, what I'm going to do when I get there. He says, when we're there, I'll show you. En route, I'll give you the directions. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I hate to say it. I don't mean to be rude, but that's just not good enough for me. I want to what? No. And God says, no, John, this is a faith thing. Remember that word called faith? Forsaking all, I trust him in the acronym. He says, you just trust me 
and I'll lead you. That's a challenge, isn't it? But then I have to remember that God knows all. You see, sometimes to me when I'm depending on my own perspective, faith is really risky. You ever have those moments where you're like, faith is not only messy, people wear those shirts, they should have another shirt that says, faith is risky, right? You ever have risky faith where God calls you or puts a demand on your life or puts something in front of you and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Let's define risk. What is a risk when it comes to faith? Risk is simply defined as not having all the answers and not understanding in advance where you will end up. That's all it is. You don't get to have all the answers. You don't get to know where you're going to be, where it all ends up and it's all done. But God does. But God does. Do you ever play that game when you're a kid where they blindfold you? And you're going through an obstacle course, but you have to trust another kid to lead you? You know what my worst fear was? The kid that purposely wanted to run me into a wall, right? You're there, and it's an awkward feeling. And instead of taking big steps of confidence, what do you do? You're taking tiny little steps because you don't want to bump anything. And you have to trust this individual to lead you through the obstacle course to get you to the other end in safety. That's what God calls us to do in faith. We are the ones that's blindfolded because like the Asian Indians, when we see the elephant, we only see in certain aspects. We only see a rope. We see a trunk. We, we see a pole. We see a fan. But we don't see the big picture. But who does? God does. He says, I'll maneuver you through this. Just take my hand and what? Follow me. In faith. And I will lead you the exit. Remember the guy named Noah that God placed a demand on his life? Called him to build an ark in the desert where it hadn't rained for eons, right? Over decades? God says, I'm going to bring a big flood and destroy the sin in the world, but I'll save those who are righteous. Could you build an ark in the desert if God called you to by faith? Over decades? just because you trusted him. What did we learn last week that impacts us today? What are the lessons we learned from when God has tests us to live in faith? Well, if I want to learn in faith, I must learn to rejoice and worship continually, right? Because that puts our perspective back upon God, not upon us. When I am rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done, provided, and in a future providence, when I am worshiping God in spirit and in truth, my eyes are on the king, not on the problem. I must learn to live by faith and redirect my blame for God into seeking to follow him. It's not an issue of, God, how could you let this happen to me? It's an issue of, God, where are we going? This is an adventure. It's funny how when we're little kids, we want to go on an adventure, right? You know, we want to go on this big adventure to someplace. When we get adults, we become scared. I don't want to do an adventure. That's, that's scary, right? We don't know where we're going. That's where Jesus says you need to have faith as a child to be ready to go on the adventure of where I'm going to lead you. If we want to live by faith, we need to learn to obey immediately and completely. 
And if we want to live by faith and pass the test, we probably won't have all of our questions answered until we've arrived. That thing we call risk, not having the answers, not knowing where we're going, but trusting that God does. We need to learn to obey immediately and to change our perspective to realize that when God gives us these demands, if we worship, if we praise, we rejoice, we seek him, we ask God to open our eyes to see the bigger picture and to trust God to provide, he will always, always get us through. If you're having a problem with drinking, do you ask a guy in the bar how to, get, how to overcome alcoholism? No. If you're having problems in your marriage, do you ask someone who's been divorced three times how to have a good marriage? No. If your kids are out of control, do you ask someone whose kids have gone AWOL how to be a good parent? No. If you're trying to be healthy and lose weight, do you ask a 600-pound individual? No. If you want to have integrity, do you ask someone who doesn't have a spine how to have integrity? No. But what do we tend to do? We tend to go to those people because they tell us what? What we want, fill in the blank, mm -hmm. to hear, right? And we stray from God because he may tell us something we, what? Don't want to hear, right? But who is really looking out for us? God is. He has our best interest in mind. As Christy said again this morning, she's like, when God gives us these Ten Commandments as guardrails, he calls us to do things that sometimes we don't want to do because we don't understand the big picture, but they're always for our protection and our providence, for our safety, for our blessing, if we just trust them. But you ever notice there's a lot of people that want to speak for God? Everybody has an opinion, even in the church, right? So if you want to learn how to grow in faith, Here's my challenge. Find someone who has evidence in their life of great faith. Find someone in the church who's gone through tremendous trial, and instead of being a bitter little person, they're rejoicing, they're joyful about the goodness of God in their life and how he has helped them overcome. Why would you seek those people out to learn to grow in faith? because they have learned to go through the demands of life, in the trials, in the testing, and with God become overcomers. Those are the people we need to listen to and seek. And here's the reality for us. God doesn't just test us. You know that he tested his own son, Jesus? Did Jesus have to make a choice before the cross of whether he would allow that to go through or not? Yeah, he had to give up his human will and all of his humanness to obey the will of his Father, right? And that's the challenge for us. When we have these demands in our life, these testings, we have to give up our human will, our failing will, and trust in God our Father to provide for us. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 14. We look at these verses. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 14. First one, I was going to read out of uh, the Good News translation. We read this, verse 12. Now, people of Israel, listen to what the Lord your God demands of you. Didn't we start talking about demands at the beginning of this message? 
Now, people of Israel, listen to the Lord your God, what the Lord your God demands of you. Worship the Lord. Oh, there's that word worship again. Wow. Worship the Lord and do all that he commands. Love him, serve him with all your heart, and obey his laws. I am giving them to you today for your benefit. Let's look at the New American Standard Version of it. Deuteronomy 10, 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commands and his statutes for which I am commanding you today for your, what? For your good. For your good. God is always looking out for us. It's just us adjusting to a different perspective. And besides that, we've looked at this in Romans 14, 23, Hebrews 11, 6, that anything not done in faith is what? Sin. Is sin. In these demands of life, when we feel like we're mopping like crazy and getting nowhere, again, we need to worship. We need to step back and stop for a minute and just say, God, open my eyes. Help me, Lord, in my disbelief. Isn't that a prayer in the Bible? Help me in my disbelief. Help me to see. Help me to change my perspective, literally, is the prayer. To not see through my limited vision, but to see through your eternal vision. That, God, you are greater. You are larger. You are bigger. You have overcome this in all simpleness. And, Lord, because now I know that, I can trust you. I can go forward in confidence, I can go forward in contentment, I can go forward in joy, and the praise and glory of what you are doing in my life to grow me and to mature me for my good. Isn't that what Deuteronomy said, that God gives us all these things for our good? And the Bible tells us that all good things come from the Father above, right? We just need to receive them. So this week, allow God to stretch your vision. When God allows you to have a demand in life, stop, worship, pray to God and say, Lord, help me to understand, help me to see, help me to have a bigger picture than myself, Lord, that I may be an overcomer as you have promised me because I know, I know this is for my good. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the challenges in your words. Draw us into a new perspective, Lord. Our, our perspective in this life is so riddled with the, the failure, the, the deceit, the, the sin, the, the fall of this world. Lord, that just entrenches all around us the lies, the deception. We pray, Lord, when these demands, these tests, these demands come upon our life, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would seek your presence, that we could rejoice in them, that you would open our eyes to see, Lord, that we would trust you and take your hand and follow you wherever you would lead us. And even though we don't have all the answers, we know that you do. And you will never lead us into harm. You will never lead us into failure. And you will always provide for us, even if it's trusting you on a daily basis to provide for us. God, we thank you for being such a loving, giving, caring God that you would notice even us, that you would grow us up in you, that you would mature us to give us confidence, boldness, and assurance, and faith in you. 
this we give you all praise in Jesus' name.